So despite the fact that we have such trouble understanding and, and the followers of Jesus have such trouble understanding this event, this is the plan of God for us and for our salvation. So let us prepare our hearts to reflect on the death of Jesus. Please pray with me. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Remind us tonight, God, that You are sovereign Creator who holds the world in Your hands and who stoops down to rescue Your people. Tonight we come to worship at the feet of Your Son who died for us. Father, we ask that You would meet us in the name of the Son, broken for us. Amen. As we sing.
festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with, with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is, a, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, It is this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? the one who sits at the table, or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. 
You stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and, re- and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you to, out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted This must be one of them, because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. 
At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, So, are you claiming to be the Son of God? And he replied, You say that I am. Why do we need witnesses? They said. We ourselves heard him say it. Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming that he is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent, but he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus, because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders, along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him, and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify Crucify him, him. Crucify crucify him. For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die, as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. 
But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you Sometimes 
records Jesus saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's an incredibly remarkable statement for Jesus to make as he is suffering the excruciating physical and emotional pain of the cross. But at the same time, it's exactly what the cross is about. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's interesting, he says that they do not know what they were doing because probably they would protest that statement. They would say that they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. The Romans know what they're doing. They are getting rid of a nuisance, putting an end to yet another political disturbance in Jerusalem. So they know what they're doing. The Jewish leaders know what they're doing. They are getting rid of this self-deluded teacher whose words are throwing people into confusion and making a, a big mess out of all of their nice, tightly knit theological systems. So they know what they're doing. And the people passing by, they know what they're doing too. They're mocking and insulting this man who supposedly could save others and yet obviously can't even save himself. So they know what they're doing too. On Good Friday, a lot of people think they know exactly what is going on. They think they know exactly what they are doing. And so in that respect, the cross exposes the foolish arrogance of humans like us who who are so sure that we know what's going on. We're so sure that we know what we're doing. I heard a story of two young parents who had just been through a hellish week. Their their two-year-old had 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 this really scary episode of being unable to walk. And, and they had spent a week in the hospital running tons and tons of tests. And, and in the end, they were discharged with, with no real diagnosis, suspected neurological something, but they didn't know. So the dad was carrying his two-year-old son in one of those front carrier things. 
as they walked to get a prescription filled when suddenly a stranger called out, he's old enough to walk. And the man looked at the woman but decided he was not going to engage and so he turned back. So she walks over, she taps him on the shoulder. So she has his full attention now and and she says, you're not doing him any favors by treating him like that. He should be walking. Aggressive stance, sharp tone. She knows what she's doing. She knows exactly what she's doing. She is protecting this poor young child from being coddled and and having all of the, the mess that comes with that. She's avoiding tragedy in this boy's life by doing what she knows needs to be done. She's going to publicly shame these parents into changing their ways. She knows what she's doing. Only then did the dad speak. He said, no, it's not any of your business, but my son has some neurological issues, was just released from the hospital earlier today, so no, right now he cannot walk. And the only one not doing him any favors is you. You and I have been there, too, in different circumstances. We can be so sure that we know what we are doing. We can read the situation, we can see what's going on, and we know what we are doing. And that's what we see at the foot of the cross, all the mockers. We know what's going on here. Jesus is a failure. If he really was a king, then he wouldn't be on a cross. Kings aren't on crosses. He would be down from the cross, and he'd be kicking the Romans out of Jerusalem. If he really was a savior, he'd have the power to save himself. We know what's going on here. And it proves that Jesus is a failure. Jesus says they do not know what they are doing. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. It's an incredible statement. Father, forgive them. Forgive them? Forgive these ones that are mocking him and abusing him? Forgive the ones that are killing him. Forgive people like this. Forgive mean-spirited, arrogant, hate-filled, insulting, ungrateful, ignorant, foolish, lying, cheating, stealing, angry, drunk, abusive, murderous people. Well, yes, because that's the point. That is the point of the cross. Jesus is willing to stay on the cross because that is the way that God forgives sinners. Because there's no other way. We do not know what we are doing. We see this powerfully in Good Friday. We do not know what we are doing. We are a lost and a confused people. And even, even when we think we know what we're doing, we don't know what we're doing. And, and so often we, we live in, in, in such confusion and such fear. And we know that we don't know what's going on. We know that we don't know what we're doing. Good Friday can be a time of, of confusion for, for God's people. Well, Can we really understand the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God? Can we really understand what's going on when the Son of God suffers and dies? We live in a world of sin and darkness and death, and so so often we are confused people. And yet even when we don't understand what's happening, God is in control. Isaiah 53 again, the end of the chapter After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, 
my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what's happening on Good Friday. That's why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, points to him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's why we call this Friday, the Friday where we commemorate the death of Jesus, this is why we still call it Good Friday, because this is the day when God forgives our sins because Jesus destroyed the power of sin and Satan on the cross forever. And that's why you and I can come to the table before us this morning as a, as a proclamation of the death of Jesus. And we can worship God in this moment because our sins are forgiven forever. So if you have experienced reconciliation with God by, by putting your faith in Jesus and receiving the forgiveness that's found in Him, we invite you to come to the table tonight. It will be a very uh, simple serving of the Lord's Supper. I will serve the bread and then you can serve yourself the cup. And as we are taking the elements together, we'll be playing a song in the background, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Take some time to reflect on the death of Jesus that brings your salvation. You don't feel like you have to rush up to the table. You'll have a few moments to be able to think and contemplate the death of Jesus. And then we'll take this meal together. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that we are a sinful people. We have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed. We have sinned by doing things that should not be done. We have sinned by not doing things that we should have done. We acknowledge that our sins made the cross necessary. So, Father, we repent of our sins. And we ask for your forgiveness for the precious blood of your own Son spilled for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. When you are ready, come to the table. Which one?
Say.
Savior has died for us.